Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about vision, but perhaps in a way you're not used to listening to vision. Um, I, I've read loads of books on vision. Uh, you probably have too. Um, nobody's quite framed vision in the way I'm going to talk about it tonight. Because when I talk about vision, I'm really talking about sight. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to talk about hindsight, insight, and foresight. Um, hindsight is the ability to look back and understand what's happened. Insight is the ability to look through and perceive where things seem cloudy and unclear. Insight is that ability to perceive and have an understanding of what's really going on, especially in the here and now, and especially in people. And foresight is the ability to actually know where to go and the next steps to take. But here's what I've discovered. It's very difficult to know where you need to go unless you've correctly understood where you've been. You know, a lot of people talk about the need for vision and for the future and how you can have faith for the future, but I've discovered in my experience I've never been able to do that well unless I've understood the past well. You think about Jesus when he was talking to a group of people and they wanted to know about the future and about the end times and about his coming. Here's what he said. Now imagine Jesus standing in the present, standing in the now as he's talking to people. Here's what he says. As it was in the days of Noah... So it shall be at the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, in order to correctly understand what was going to happen in the future, Jesus looked to the past. He looked to what had already happened. And he said, you know, that, that characteristic, that shape, those events, that's exactly what we're going to see repeated again in the future. He did this over and over and over again, so that when he was with a group of Pharisees, he said to them, well did Isaiah write about you. He's looking into the past, something that was written roughly 500 years before he turned up on the scene. Well did Isaiah say about you, these people draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, for they, have, they worship the traditions of men rather than the word of God. And so Jesus was able to understand his context and understand his future because he understood the past. He understood history. He understood what had gone before. And every single one of us, we need to embrace hindsight. Now, here's what I've discovered. In my journey of faith, very often, I have an interpretation of the past that needs editing, how many of you know that every good author has an editor? 
And when you write a story, a good editor will say, you know, that's a distraction, that's unnecessary, that's not an important part of the plot. And the editor will be ruthless and say, and cut it out, cut it out. And just because something happened in your history doesn't mean it's perhaps as important as you thought it was. Now, when those things bring pain into your life, you think that is mega. But actually, with a little bit of distance and a little bit of grace and a little bit of healing and a little bit of God's presence, you might be able to edit the past and see what the real highlights were. Have you ever wondered why it is that the only bit of information we get about Jesus is his birth until he's a few years old, then a little, little picture when he's 12 years old, and then suddenly he's on the scene when he's 30 years of age. It's like, wow, that is a massive amount of editing. <laughs> and then everything is like, Three and a half years of his life in the Gospels. And you get to the Gospel of John, and after chapter 12, chapter 13, right through till chapter 20, is the last three days of his life. Half the book. It's like, what's going on here? Well, I think the Holy Spirit, who is the most wonderful editor of any person's life, it's helping us understand there's certain things that we need to focus on and certain things we need to tune out. There's certain things we need to highlight about our past experiences in order to move correctly into our destiny. And if you don't edit it correctly, it's very hard to move forward correctly. Have you ever wondered when you read First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and you get through those books and it's all very exciting and then you get to First and Second Chronicles and you think, hang on a minute, I've read this before. Anyone ever notice that? In your Bible reading, you think, what's this all about? A little bit of repetition going on here. But First and Second Chronicles was written after the Babylonian captivity. So, so Samuel and Kings is written before the captivity Chronicles is written roughly 100 years later. And do you know what the writer is doing? He's saying, I'm going to take that story of Samuel and Kings and I'm going to rewrite it, but I'm going to change the focus. He edits the history of what happened to change the focus. And the focus suddenly in Chronicles shifts from the kings and the rulers to the temple and to worship and to the presence of God. There's an editorial change, an editorial shift. And hindsight enables us to do that. And I, I want to encourage everyone here, you know, we all have personal journeys. We, we all have situations in our life where we go through disappointments or, or we go through difficulties. The trick is, don't get stuck with a perspective that is just your perspective, but in a prayerful way, Dare to ask God, God, what's your understanding of my history? What's your view of what's taken place to me? Because if you're somebody like Joseph and your brothers want to kill you 
and they sell you into slavery and you end up being a slave at 17 years of age, which is pretty young really. And you go down into Egypt and the first thing you've got to do is learn a new language in order to survive. And then you learn the language and then life seems to be going well because you get promoted and then you get falsely accused and then you get thrown into a dungeon. Doesn't that suck? You do the right thing and it gets worse. Anyone know what I'm talking about as a Christian here? You do the right thing and it gets worse. You know, well, I thought if you obey God, you get blessed. Well, that equation doesn't seem to work. Well, the problem with that equation is there's always a time distance between obedience and blessing. Doesn't that suck? Wouldn't it be great if it was instantaneous? And so in that gap, in that time frame, that's, that's the challenge of what will my heart become like? Will my heart become bitter or will it become better? Will my heart reach up to heaven to get God's perspective on what's going on? Or will my heart get discouraged and instead of me putting up a hand to heaven, I'll put a root into the soil like a root of bitterness? And the difficulty with that is it then begins to taint your entire future because instead of having faith for the blessing that will follow, you begin to go in the future with suspicion and you go into the future with a defensive attitude and you go into the future not trusting. And that's no way to live. And so Joseph gets to a point in his life where he resolves this, and, and when his brothers challenge him, and they say, you know, our father's dead, and he promised us, you know, he said, you know, just make sure that Joseph doesn't do any harm to you. And Joseph turned around to him, and he said, listen, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. How many of you know that's a re-editing of history? You, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In, in other words, if God is not in the equation, all I'm left is the evil intention of what other people are doing to me and how they pull me down and how they take advantage of me. If God is left out of the equation, that's what you're left with. And, and you carry that baggage now into your future. I'm a victim. This is what life dealt me. This is the hand I got. But when you pull God into the equation... You get a re-editing of history and hindsight enables you to look back with a brand new perspective. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many lives as it is this day. God's always got an intention that's way bigger than the enemy. And unless we have this hindsight, it's very hard for us to have foresight. And, and so, you know, when, when people say to me, oh, that was really disappointing. And I say, yeah, right now it is. I agree. That is disappointing. I've been through disappointing things. But, but you know, this is a chapter, not a book. The story isn't over. We, we need to see, well, well, how is this going to unfold? And can I grab something? You know, there's a story, of, the story of the little birds who wanted to fly south because winter was coming. So all the birds got together and they said, let's fly, fly south in formation. There was one rebellious little bird. He said, well, I don't want to fly with you. And so all the birds set off flying in V formation. They all were going very nicely south where it was warmer weather. This little bird decided to stay around and play around. And suddenly it started to get colder and colder and he realized, I've made a big mistake. 
I need to fly south. And as he started flying south, of course, he didn't have the V formation of the birds to help him. He was flying all his, on his own. It was getting colder and colder and colder. And as it got colder and colder and colder, the wet, the dew got on his wings. They got heavier and heavier until in the end he couldn't fly any longer. And he just spiraled right out of the sky. And he landed in a farmyard. And he was lying there and he goes, oh, I've been so foolish. I should have left with all the others. I've made a big mistake. Now I'm going to die in this farmyard. And as he's lying there, thinking, regretting life, regretting his choices, a cow comes along and poos all over him. (laughs) And the little bird is lying there in this cow pat. And he's thinking, great. I'm dying and somebody's pooed on me. You know, not only am I going to die of the freezing cold, I'm going to die in a whole load of poop. And then he suddenly realized the poo was warm and he was getting warmer. And he started to revive me. He thought, wow, this warm poo is making me feel so much better. And then a cat came along and the cat sniffed out the little bird and licked off all the poo from the little bird. And he said, wow, this is amazing. I feel fantastic. Not only has the poo revived me, but now a cat has come along and wiped off all the poo. And here I am, a strong little bird again. And then the cat ate the poo, the uh, bird. <laughs> and the moral of the story is this. <laughs> Not everybody who poos on you is your enemy. And not everybody who licks it off is your friend. You see, it just depends where you are in the journey, how you view the story. And so we've got to have that, that ability to be able to to look back at something and reframe it. You see, there are things when I look back at my past, I think, well, that was an absolute disaster. But now standing here today, I understand why God let me go through it. The pain is reframed. God didn't change the pain. God changed my perspective of the pain. God didn't change the event like it never happened. I just have a different view of that event. You see, God didn't remove the pain that Joseph went through. He gave him a different view of why he went through it. And it left him with a sense of purpose. It left him with a sense of dignity. It left him with a sense of a future. And he realized he had saved a nation, not only Egypt, but his own nation. And when he died, it says he gave commandment concerning his bones. In other words, I might die here, but don't bury me here. Bury me in the land of promise, because that's what I've held out for all along. You know what I love about Joseph? Is though he never got there in his lifetime, he got there in the end. (laughs) Because he lived in the reality of the promise, even though it was never fulfilled in his lifetime. He lived with the reality in here, in his heart. Now, he could never have done that unless he'd reinterpreted his past. You know, you read the Gospel of John, and it's interesting. Jesus, one day, there's a whole group of people talking to him, and he says, destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it up again. 
And then John writes this. This he spoke concerning his body, the temple of his body. And, and nobody at the time understood it. In fact, throughout the Gospel of John, when Jesus said things, John has to give an interpretation of what Jesus said that he understood years later. Because at the time, what do you mean destroy this temple in three, and you'll build it in three? It took 40 years to build this temple. Everyone is sort of thinking at this level, and Jesus is talking at this level. Nobody gets it because nobody's got any insight. So not only do you need hindsight, You've got to have insight. You, you've got to be able to see what's really going on. Now, now it, here's the danger with insight. The danger with insight is when you get insight, you look very wise. Don't you? It's like, ooh, ooh, that's impressive. You know, I discern this about you. It's like, it's, it's usually prophetic people that have the most insight. And so, so when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he says, go and call your husband. She said, I'm not married. He says, that's right. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. There's a little bit of insight. Prophetic people get those kinds of insight and it, and it makes them look wise. It, it, it's impressive. And you know what? Sometimes I, I think people try to have insight when all they do is have the borrowed revelation of another person they hear something oh oh do you do you discern this i discern this yeah they just listen to a message from somebody on a tape on a video a week ago and they think that will be impressive when i share that at church have you discerned this spirit here it's operating in certain people do you know who it is? It's like they create this mystique around themselves. It's like, oh, that sounds so impressive. They get people to look up to them. It's like, BS. <laughs> really? Really? Because real insight nails it. Real insight nails it. It's not mysterious. It's not mystique. It's not over here somewhere. You know, I'd like to tell you more, but you're just not at the same spiritual level I am. Oh, I've just had loads of that stuff in the past. You know, and, and what, we, what we need is genuine insight. Genuine insight. You know, there's a story about Elisha who, he goes and stays with this, the, this widow and, and, and she takes care of him and... and and he says, you know, he says to Gehazi, what can I do for this woman? He says, well, she doesn't have any children. And so he says, oh, okay, we can, we can sort that out. And so she comes along, he says, you know, about this time next year. And she says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say that. She gets all mad with him. She said, Did I, you know, what are you doing that for? And he goes, well, I just want to bless you. And, and sure enough, she has a child and boom, he grows up. And then, I don't know, he's about, I can't remember the age of the boy, about eight years of age or something like that. And uh, he gets a headache one day, and he dies. And she is, like, absolutely distraught. And then she goes to her husband. He goes, is everything all right? She goes, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Typical woman. Everything's fine. <laughs> Sorry, was that too, was that too naughty? Uh, okay, all right. I'll repent later. So, 
everything's fine, everything's fine. She saddles this horse, she goes over, you know, Gehazi meets her, you know, Elisha sees her coming towards him, sends out Gehazi, ask her her what's wrong, ask her what's wrong. And he goes out there and she says, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. And she finally gets to Elisha and then she lets it all out. She falls at his feet and grabs his feet. And she is absolutely distraught and she's not happy with him. And Elisha, the prophet, says these words. Gehazi tries to grab her and pull her away. And Elisha says these words. Leave her alone, for she is in great distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me. The Lord, in other words, I have no insight into what's going on in this woman's life right now, but I can see she's in distress, let her alone. And then you get the whole exchange where she said, did I ask you for a son? Did I want a son? And she, she kind of lets it all out. And then, you know, he's, he's absolutely shocked and he sends Gehazi, that doesn't work. And then he goes there, you know the one, he lies up seven times, he sneezes seven times, he's raised from the dead. It's, an, it's a great Old Testament miracle, it's brilliant. But my point is this, here's a prophet who doesn't have insight. Because he says, the Lord has hidden it from me. You see, insight is given by heaven. It's it's given by the Spirit. Either you see it or you don't. It's as simple as that. If you see it, you're responsible for what you see. Deal with it. If you don't see it, don't pretend you do because someone else told you they see it and you want to quote them to impress others. That's the worst kind of prophetic tomfoolery that you can possibly get involved with. And I have seen it over and over again in the church. We want to impress people with our spirituality. So we claim insight we don't truly have. You know what the danger of doing that is? You can end up like the seven sons of Sceva. They try to cast out a demon. We, we cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? <laughs> They all run out naked. You know, that's what one demon can do to seven men. The seven sons of Sceva, they run out naked, get beaten up, you know. Let's not, let's not fool around with this stuff. You know, if God gives us insight, he gives us insight. And we need insight. Sometimes, you know, as a pastor, I'm often praying when I'm dealing with people, particularly when people are mad at you. I don't know what it is about us as pastors. It's like people get mad at us. For some reason. And uh, it's like, you know, in my early days, I thought, you're going to get angry with me? Watch how angry I can get. I'm half Italian. (laughs) You know, and that never worked well for me as a pastor, really. Um, And I had to learn patience. And I think that's why I've got six kids. (laughs) Thank you. And, uh, but the thing is, People get mad, and in the early days, I would react to people's reactions. But then I learned after a while, and the Holy Spirit began to teach me, and older mentors began to teach me. When people are angry, they're usually in pain. Ask the Lord about their pain. And so when people get mad at me these days, instead of getting mad back at them, I say, Lord, what's really going on here? What's really going on? Help me understand their pain. Help me understand their disappointment. Help me understand what they're going through. Give me some insight. One day Jesus 
is teaching and uh, a group of guys bring in a guy who's a paralytic. Jesus looks at him. Instead of saying, arise, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, now why didn't he say, arise, get up and walk? Why did he say, your sins are, are forgiven? Insight. His biggest need was for forgiveness. And all the guys in the room, the Pharisees who are there, are judging Jesus. Who does he think this man? Only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? But they're not talking it, they're thinking it. They're thinking it. You know, don't you love that movie, uh, Frozen? Not Frozen. Um, well, you like, I know you all love that movie. Ice Age. Ice Age. You know, with the sloth and the saber-toothed tiger. You know, he goes, he goes, you don't like me, do you? I didn't say that. Yeah, but you were thinking it. I don't like this guy. He reads minds. <laughs> Remember that bit? It's such a great part of the movie, isn't it? You don't like me, do you? I didn't say that. Yeah, but you are thinking it. <laughs> I don't like this guy. He reads minds. <laughs> and all these Pharisees are judging Jesus. And here's what the scripture says. It's, it's in Mark's gospel. It says, Jesus perceived the thought of their heart. Jesus perceived the thought of their heart. Isn't that amazing? And then he turned around and he said, why do you say in your hearts only God can forgive sins? Which is easiest to say, rise up and walk or your sins are forgiven you? Now, if I was in Bible college and I was asked that question, I would definitely know the answer. Your sins are forgiven you is a lot easier to say because no one can prove it. Your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. And, and then Jesus says, but so that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, rise up and walk. How many of you know you've moved from the baby pen to the adult pen when you can do that? You are in a different class of leadership and authority when you can not only declare forgiveness over a person's life, but you can declare rise up and walk over their life. And Jesus vindicates who he is, but he perceived in his spirit. You know, no man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man that is in him, and no man knows the things of God except the spirit of God. But God uh, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered to the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has been revealing them to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, the deep things of God and the deep things of man. And the spirit of God is perceiving the condition of the heart. And sometimes he reveals it to us so that we can help one another in our journey. And when we perceive things, you know, it's like when I shared my story Sunday night about how God set me free from this poverty spirit, this limited mentality, you know, that was sharing my journey of weakness with you, not my place of strength. But, but I know that that was helping a lot of you because I was perceiving in my spirit there were a whole group of you that needed that message and needed that story and needed to be set free from something similar. Do you get that? 
And, and, you know, what we've got to do with one another is don't react to how people present themselves to you because often when they present themselves to you, what you see is their pain and their discomfort and their defensiveness. And what we've got to do is see beyond that and perceive the condition of their heart. You know, there's a guy who followed Philip the evangelist around. He was called Simon the sorcerer and he was an impressive guy. And he was so impressed by Philip, he even got baptized and he was with the disciples for a long time. And then Peter came down and laid hands and people got filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I'd like that gift. He said, I've got money here if you like. Peter said, your money perish with you, thinking that you can buy the gift of God. I, I see that your heart is still caught up in the gall of bitterness. He's perceiving with his spirit the real condition of the man's heart. You know, God doesn't look on the outward things. He looks on the heart. So the most important thing that we can do as believers is in our journey of faith, if we want to perceive someone else's heart, well, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. I know it says they shall see God, but they shall see. And when you see correctly, you see God and you see others correctly. And it's the pure in heart that do that. It's the people who keep their, well, how do you keep your heart pure? You have to keep it untainted from bitterness. You have to keep it untainted from the things in life that, that try and shape your heart and harden your heart. And sin will harden your heart. And resentment will harden your heart. And bitterness will harden your heart. And, and we all get hit with that stuff. But if we reframe the past correctly and say, well, God, give me your perspective on this. Because right now I'm really hurting. Now, right now I don't get it. Right now I'm like David in Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord? How long? You know, what's going on here? But, but those things are meant to be for a season. They're not meant to be for a lifetime. And we reframe things and then we begin to get insight. You know what? When you get those two things in the right place, boy, does that set you up for foresight. The greatest advantage a leader has over anybody is foresight. The ability to know what is the next step. That's, that's the leader's greatest advantage. But, but you never get to know what the next step with is unless you get this stuff right. You, you, you've got to keep your heart pure. You've got to have your heart sifted, as it were. You know, and sometimes the best way to get your heart sifted is to get a few knocks. You know, I found the only way I could deal with my ego is not by repenting of it, but by somebody knocking it out of me <laughs> and showing me how big it was. How many of you know, you, you never know how big your ego is until you're in a situation where somebody just sits on you. Or does something to you in life. And then you realize, oh, hang on a minute, maybe that attitude wasn't good. You know, it's interesting to me, having raised kids, you know, nobody in their 20s realizes the level of entitlement they live with. Nobody realizes. I remember the first time I was in my daughter's apartment and I left the light on. She said, turn the light off, Dad. You're wasting electricity. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, whoever taught you that? 
Because you never learned it from me. All the times I taught you and you still left your light on all night. Come there in the morning, it's still on. Not talking about anyone in the household I'm staying with at the moment. But how many of you know kids in their 20s, they sort of have this sense of entitlement until they end up paying the bill. And it's amazing how much they learn in such a short period of time. Because life is ruthless. Life is not like mum. Oh, he's just 20. He'll grow out of it. Life is not like that. Life is, you, you, you've been to, late to work three days in a row. Oh, have I? Yeah, you get your cards. You're fired. You know, sometimes people just need that to wake up. Reality. And, and sometimes we don't realize what we need in order to become better people. And it's like, Lord, you know, I want to be more like Jesus. Do you know what you're asking for? Do you understand what that means when you say something like that? That means every single part of you that's not in alignment with the kingdom of God or the image of Jesus is going to get crucified. It's going to get nailed to the cross. It's going to get buried. You're going to go through stuff where you feel like, I'm dying a thousand deaths here. Yeah, but you asked to be more like Jesus. How did you think that was going to happen? Oh, here it comes, here it comes. Ah, there it is. I'm more like Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if it was like that? Wouldn't that be fantastic? No, God exposes the secret places of the heart, the dark places, the, the places not in conformity to him. And, and we go through all this painful stuff and, and then we suddenly realize, oh, we, we get to here and we look back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. Like Joseph looked back when he was 17. Yeah, I wasn't very wise sharing those dreams. I was a bit arrogant. A bit? Yeah, yeah, I was a bit. Yeah, you're just a cocky 17-year-old telling everybody they're all going to bow down to you. Not wise. But he came to a different place in his life. He came to a new place. And I want to encourage us as a group of people. Hey, dare to reflect. And as you reflect, pray. And say, Holy Spirit, help me to edit my life. Help me to look back, what were the bits that from your perspective were really important and really made me? And can I just say, all of us edit. We all do it. We tend to forget things and we tend to remember certain things. And whenever I've prayed and I've wanted to be delivered from something, like, like I told you, the poverty spirit, I remember the Holy Spirit showing me key moments in my life where that gripped me and had an impact on me. And because I saw it, I suddenly realized where my perspective had come from and it helped me to break free. It helped me to realize I don't want to be like that. It was so funny, Tico took me out for a meal tonight. He said, have anything you like. 
I actually chose the most expensive thing on the menu. And I just said, Tico, I'm still struggling slightly. It is the most expensive thing. I really would like it. It was a fillet steak. He said, go for it. And so, so I really did. But I want you to know, even now, I get twinges. You know, even though I consider myself free, essentially, primarily, overall, I still get twinges. I still get that little moment where, is this okay? It's like I want a little reassurance, a little permission here. And that's okay. That's okay. Because if you've got friends around you and people who believe in you, they'll give you that little bit of reassurance so that you can stay in the freedom that Christ has set you free and you can stand with Him. So I want to encourage you. Let's be people who look back and edit our lives correctly. Edit them according to God's view of your past. Maybe you went through divorce. Maybe you had an abortion. Maybe somebody betrayed you and committed adultery and you were the faithful one in the partnership. Maybe somebody swindled you and you lost a whole lot of money. Maybe somebody took away your home. Maybe somebody took away a loved one. Maybe that stuff happened to you. Don't live in the pain and disappointment of the event, but rather from where you are now, say, God, how can I look at that in a way that redemption can touch this episode of my life so that I can be all that you want me to be in this life, in this situation right now? Help me to perceive the condition of my own heart so that I will be good at perceiving the condition of other people's hearts. And then in that place, God, give me a vision for the future so that I can know the next step to take that will lead me into a destiny that will fulfill your purpose for my life. Can we all say amen? Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. started writing a book on leadership that stuff's going to go in there hey if you feel like right now your life needs editing (laughs) and I don't mean forgetting the pain I mean reinterpreting that's what I mean I don't want to diminish anybody's pain here tonight. I'm not diminishing that at all. Pain is real. Disappointment is real. I'm not diminishing it. I'm asking the touch of heaven and for God to come into it so that you can see it in a redemptive way. That will, that it, it actually can build towards a future. That's what I'm asking for. Now, if you need that in your life tonight, just put your hand on your heart while I pray for you. That's all I want you to do. Just put your hand on your heart. Spirit of God, I thank you for every person in this room tonight whose desire is to move into a great future. But in order to do that, Father, we need to understand our past. And we need to understand it from heaven's perspective, not not through the lens of disappointment, not through the lens of pain, not through the lens 
of hurt and anger and resentment and bitterness, not through those lenses, but through the lens of grace, through the lens of mercy. Spirit of God, I ask right now that the touch of heaven would come on every person's life who's reaching out for you, to you in this way, right now, Father. Just let it come, Spirit of God. I pray that tonight people would dream about their own past and their own life. And in that dream, I ask Holy Spirit that you would speak and you would be present. Just like Joseph in the Old Testament, release dreams tonight, Father. Release clarity, release vision of what has gone on that's going to give grand, brand new insight and brand new focus. And with that insight, Father, I'm asking for a release and a relief of every heavy weight that people have carried. Everything that's felt like a yoke upon their shoulders, upon their life, upon their ministry, upon their marriage, upon the, upon the things that they've been trying to carry and trying to do. I break the power of that yoke now in Jesus' name. I command that heaviness to lift off. Father, I'm asking that in the next 24 hours, a shift is going to come that is going to be so significant. It's going to release new joy. It's going to release new hope. It's going to release a new perspective. It's going to release insight and vision and clarity that is going to enable people to run with the vision that you've ordained for their life. I'm declaring that the past will not be a handbrake for the future, that the enemy will not have authority in these areas. I break off his power in Jesus' name. I declare the grace of God is sufficient. I declare that the mercy of God is big enough. I declare the faithfulness of God over people's lives today. I thank you you never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that you're with us in the journey. I thank you you're a God who comforts us in our pain. I release that now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord God. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.